welcome to Orchard Hills Podcast Perspectives. This is a podcast that we're doing just to address some current issues, hopefully from a biblical perspective. And we've chosen the name Perspectives intentionally because although we hope that at times we'll clarify what the Bible says, we realize that a lot of times things that are current um, have a lot of perspectives and a lot of ways you can think about them biblically. Um, Not meaning that there isn't important inferences or something like that, but that the Bible may not address it explicitly. And so that's why we have called it Perspectives and what we hope to do. And today we are going to talk about something that is very current, and that is the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett and how uh, we should consider that and think about that. And so here, here's my question. I'm joined by Joe Haldeman and uh, Josiah Lewenberger. Hey there. So hey. Here's, here's the question that I have just as I think about that this question. And certainly if you pay attention to news cycles at all, this is all over the news right now and will be for a while. <laughs> and so my question is, should Christians have a take at all on the nomination and selection of a Supreme Court justice? And then secondly, if so, uh, if your answer is yes, what should it be? Um, so first, just the question, should we, should we as Christian people have a take on what is happening with the court? Or is this something where you just kind of step back and say, hey, that's politics and we do, you know, church things that aren't necessarily tied to politics? Man, I, I would say I think there is a time and a place for Christians to, to uh, sort of be hands off, but I would have a real hard time saying, uh, telling someone that it's their moral responsibility to be hands off. In fact, I, I think probably the opposite. It, it probably is our moral responsibility to be engaged in politics it, in the way that our country is established today, where it, uh, it depends on the input of, of citizens. Yeah, for me, in thinking about this issue, personally as a Christian, the right to life issue is very significant to me. And mm-hmm. so I know that that is on the minds of a lot of believers saying we want to be advocates for human life, you know, yeah. uh, from birth to death, recognizing the value of every person made in the image of God. And so when we see a conversation taking place um, around the issue of abortion, which is a motivating factor for a lot of people in wanting to see a conservative Supreme Court justice elected, there's a strong desire to engage in that conversation. Yeah. And uh, I think that is a, a conversation that's important to me as a believer and uh, right now, I think the question that so many people are conflicting over is, is Amy, Co- Amy Comey Barrett's faith going to influence her understanding of the law? Yeah. And I think the fact of the matter is not one of us is objective in our ability to, you know, see perfect with perfect clarity any sort of document. However, there's another conversation taking place right now which is how is the law to be best understood? Mm -hmm. And there are some who view the law almost with this sort of reverence of inerrancy that we in the church hold for scripture. Um, You know, Amy Barrett herself, an originalist, someone saying, I want to interpret the constitution as the frame, you know, as it was framed originally and have this sort of linear explanation based on the intention of the authors. Mm -hmm. To me, that seems like kind of a a biblical inerrancy Mm -hmm. almost view of this text. Whereas others would say, you know, the founding fathers, they weren't as understanding as we are today with our values. And so we really need to think critically about how we can reinvent the law to best accomplish the intent. 
And so there are multiple issues that are at stake in this. Yeah. And uh, I think that that is an additional cause of division for yeah. sure. Well, what's interesting about that, it's interesting you brought that up because I had the same reaction when I've heard that conversation again. You know, Antonia Scalia was an originalist, as they call them, and, and then some are not. And it's the exact same conversation you have in seminary in oh, yeah. a biblical interpretation class, a hermeneutics class, where you uh, work through all the different ways that people interpret the Bible. And do you need to get to the author's original intent, or can it mean whatever it means to you? And certainly here at Orchard Hill, we would say in terms of the Bible, you have to get to the author's original intent. I don't get to decide, oh, I think it means this. I yeah. have to say our job is to discern what did the author intend. Um, so yes, you're, it is interesting because that it has a shade of that. Now, I obviously, our Constitution is not an uh, inerrant document, um, but it's an interesting interpretive question that does have a parallel into the church. So I heard you both basically say, um, that Christians should have a take. Um, yeah. So then what should it be with this? And obviously, I, I, you know, Josiah, you brought up the light, right to life issue. I think people would also bring up the fairness issue uh, in terms of the Merrick Garland appointment uh, four years ago, and then why this one is being uh, streamlined in an election year, and that one was thwarted. Um, so, so there are a, a host of ways we could mm. go with this. So, so what if, if you think Christians should have a take, um, what is a good take to have on this issue? Oh man, it's putting us right on the spot, huh? Yeah. I just want to be <laughs> candid and say that my knowledge of the American political system and this process of adopting a new justice, I don't believe that I have enough information to make a statement on timing mm -hmm. and what is most appropriate. However, for me, what I really want to recognize is that I believe that each and every individual comes to our role with a certain perspective and a certain background. And for Amy Comey Barrett to be a person of faith in her position, I don't see that as a disqualifier, that mm -hmm. she would have one particular background because every individual comes with a background. And so as much as she says, um, you know, the quote that, I read from her, talked about how she says, I'm a faithful Catholic. I would stress that my personal church affiliation or my religious belief would not bear in the discharge of my duties as a judge. Uh, that's something that she directly said when asked about the interaction between her faith and her work. I just don't believe that's possible. Um, I truly believe she's a very genuine follower of Christ from everything that I have uh, read about her background and other quotes. However, I don't think that it's possible for us to separate our faith from our work because that is a part of who we are. It's a part of our beer, our being. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the dialogue right now in the Senate and other places, media, is, is we don't want somebody who has faith that's informing their views um, among some circles. And I think your point is right, and that is everybody has some kind of dogma. I mean, what was the famous quote? Uh, you know, the dogma Dumb. lives loudly within you. Well, everybody mm. has a dogma that lives loudly within them. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter where you get your dogma from. Everybody has something that guides their, their controlling thoughts about how they see the world, about why they see the world a certain way. And so to expect anybody to not have that is an unrealistic expectation. Um, the question, I think, is, is it fair to, to try to discern what that is? And are there some dogmas that disqualify people yeah. from uh, sitting on the Supreme Court? And I think 
some people would say, yes, her Catholic faith is a disqualifier because it predisposes her against the majority opinion on certain issues. Mm-hmm. Other people would say, of course not. Um, it's good to be a Catholic or you know, a Protestant or a Mormon or some other type of faith because that's part of your worldview and it's just helpful to know what that is. I think that what has challenged me most in thinking about this uh, or helped me to be a little bit more uh, even-handed is to ask the question, what if somebody was being nominated who uh, was a Muslim who believes in Sharia law? Um, now, is that a fair question for, um, uh, who was it that asked the question, you know, the, the dogma lives loud in you and that's of concern. Is it fair for that person to make that statement in that situation? And so I think that there is an appropriate discussion to be had about does that dogma, how does your dogma interplay with the, your reading of the constitution? Because the, all of this stuff about like, what's, what's her take on, what's her position on, um, you know, certain issues, that's not the Supreme Court justices role is to have a stake to have a take on an issue it's to interpret the constitution and so that when an issue comes up there it's not their political opinion that they're supposed to be putting forward it's their ability to interpret the law mm-hmm. so I, I guess that's i i think that's where there's kind of an uncomfortable conversation because we have to say there are certain dogmas that do not jive with the constitution and it happens to be not not that i can even I shouldn't even say it that way, but that the Constitution was written with a Judeo-Christian ethic and mindset uh, in mind. Right. Well, it's interesting, too. Obviously, what's happened more and more in the last 30 years is that justice appointments have become truly a political appointment. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And even the way the Constitution, or not the Constitution, but the original articles of approval were set up, you needed 60 senators. Mm. And uh, what was that, 2012, 2013, in order to get some justices approved, the Democrats reduced the number to 50, 51, just a majority vote, which has changed the whole thing. Because if there were 60 right now, uh, it would be hard to get Amy Coney Barrett through. Yeah, um, It would, be, would have been hard to get through anybody who doesn't have some bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. And so and so the court now has become completely polarized rather than saying, let's find somebody who we don't really know their views. Yeah. Um, we want an impartial jurist to sit there as yeah. best we can. It's become, how do we get somebody on the court who holds our, our views? Now, having said that, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, um, especially knowing that, you know, whichever side of the aisle you sit on, that the other side's going to do that. You're just simply saying we're going to, you know, play by the same set of rules mm. and try to get our person on the court. But it's it's an interesting change that has happened yeah. uh, where, you know, at least, you know, my early recollection of the court was you always had at least a few senators who would cross the aisle right. and vote for a, a, a nomination because the person was reasonable. And now it's become completely you know, all Republicans are against the Democrat appointees. Yeah. All Democrats yeah. are against the Republican appointees. Now, what would be an issue is if it was said, well, the reason I would like her to serve as a justice is because I'd really like to see Roe versus Wade overturned. And so I'm choosing her for this position solely because she is a devout Catholic, not because of any qualifications. That yeah. would be a real abuse of the political system. Right. However, I think that there's a way in which in our culture today, we can be very cynical about the political system because we see abuses of power. We see people acting with a character that would be different from what we would hope for, for those who represent our nation. However, 
I think that at some point we have to say, okay, we either trust that these rules that have been established for how our country is best led, they either work or they don't. We're either going to trust them or we're not. And right. so we can be cynical and say, this system's just totally broke. You know, let me just have zero confidence in it altogether. Yeah. Or we can say, I really trust that, you know, this justice has been vetted. Her qualifications are there, which I really, I believe that she has the background, the experience, the education to serve in this role. And what it comes down to is you pick the best person to serve in a job. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to play this game of choosing favorites based on um, whether they're on your team or not. You choose the best person for the job. And so if she was a practicing Muslim and she had the qualifications that she does and the experience that she does, I'd be like, man, this woman would be great for this job. Mm. And so because she has a devout faith in Christ, should that disqualify her? I would say by no means. So, so I guess the question that that leads to for me to a certain extent is, are there views that would disqualify somebody? In other words, with what you just said, qualifications are enough, but yeah. uh, we heard the question about Sharia law. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody said, oh, I, I want to see that practiced, is that a person who should be on yeah. the Supreme Court of our country? Yeah, so my take kind of in response to the, the comment I made about trusting the political system, I believe that if someone did have a position that was disqualifying, I have a confidence in the system that they would not be to point where the president of the United States was recommending them to serve as Supreme Court justice, because I, I do believe the system, despite its flaws and brokenness, I think that, mm -hmm. that those who are in a position of power would have said, this is not someone whose views are compatible yeah. with forwarding democracy in the way that we believe is best for this country. But let me push back on you there. I, I read an article last week that basically said that, uh, I don't know if it's the president, one of the leaders of France, is working towards banning homeschooling in their country because uh, of the the way the Islamic community is homeschooling their kids and uh, indoctrinating them is the word that they used into uh, practices that are not France like, and so you know that's already something that is being dealt with pretty severely. I'd say in European countries that there's been this uh, Islamic influence. And they're already seeing it begin to influence their politics. So I, that, that's where I think there's going to be some very uncomfortable conversations about um, what, what makes America America. Is it the Constitution or is it whatever the people vote for the country to be? Yeah. So, so I, let me come back to the question I asked earlier. So, so for people of faith, the, what, what I'm hearing I think you guys say is, you're comfortable with Amy Coney Barrett um, being the nomination, the nominee, uh, in part because of her qualifications. You'd be comfortable with somebody who you didn't agree with if they had the right qualifications coming to that that role. Comfortable is a strong word. So, 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 well, and <laughs> I guess I guess what I'm what I'm trying to drive at is like there are a lot of Christians who would say this is the issue of any election. Yeah. Any presidential election is who's getting appointed to the Supreme Court or the all the district courts, because this is where so many of the religious liberty issues are being decided. Life issues are being decided, um, issues that that have to do with with some of how faith interacts in our culture. So I guess what I'm what, what I'm asking is how important should this piece of the election process be? Mm. I um I think there are there are Christians today who would say, um, you know, okay, this 
maybe I agree with with the take that you're you know giving here about this judge or not, but there are a lot of other issues that matter just as much. Therefore, this should not be a driving issue for how you see elections. So, so, so I guess what I'm what I'm trying trying to drive at is is how um, not that a Christian should care, um, but how should they see? Um, how a justice appointment influences or tips the the, yeah. the balance because part of why this has become such an issue is obviously when when a conservative replaces somebody like Ruth Bader Ginsburg it is going to slant the court a certain mm-hmm. way for probably a generation and, and so that's why some people say this is a key moment do whatever you need to do to get this done yeah uh, and other people would say this is a key moment do whatever you can to stop it right. um, so 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 do, do you know what I'm asking absolutely there? okay and I would say that this is exactly why uh, Trump was elected in 2016 because he because ev- everybody who voted for him believed that he was going to put in conservative uh, judges and justices um, and so I yeah I would say that this is from a very pragmatic perspective, yeah, this is a huge deal because it is going to affect our judicial system for generations. Um, and, uh, you know, m- more so than, you know, what's going to happen, you know, by one president in four years. Josiah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I shared earlier that the, the right to life issue is something that's really important to me. And I would say that the value for human life isn't something that I believe just applies to the unborn, but social issues across the board for those who are most in need and most vulnerable in our culture are vitally important. And so I think in different ways, I find myself landing on opposite sides of the aisle at times. Yeah. However, protecting the lives of the unborn, it's critically important to me. And so I would find myself um, uh, just aligning with understanding of people who would say this is this is really an important issue for Christians to speak up for. However, uh, I just have to be honest and say for me, I have a rule uh, or a, at least a slogan that I like to say, the person who's the president of our, of our country, I want their moral character to be that of, if my wife was to have a flat tire on a country road in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> I would like it if the president was someone I would feel safe being yeah. the first person to come along that road to give her a hand. Yeah. And sometimes I don't have that level of trust of our political leaders in their moral character and integrity. Yeah. And so although there are, somewhat, there are some people who I would appreciate and align with their views on pro-life issues, I can't excuse uh, personal conduct that is far beyond what I would hope for for the leaders of our country. Yeah. And so I can share viewpoints, but I also can be critical about a desire for something better for our nation. Yeah. So well put. Let me let me just transition this just for a moment. So there's a professor at Boston University named Abram Kendi who wrote a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. I read the book, um, really learned and appreciated the book. Um, he came out and tweeted um, something about Amy Coney Barrett, which has uh, gotten some, some response. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett has seven children, uh, two of which she adopted from Haiti. Uh, so they're black children living in her home. And this is what Ibram Kendi tweeted. Some white colonizers adopt black children. They civilize these savage children, with quotes around civilized and savage, in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. 
So basically what, what he has said, and he's probably one of the big voices. I mean, that's one of the most celebrated books right now. And he's a sought after lecturer on this. And basically what he's saying is she's disqualified from serving as a Supreme Court justice because she has exhibited racism by adopting black children and trying to give them a white life rather than a, mm. than a black life. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I would say I didn't know that he knew her so well. Man, <laughs> he, he's so acutely aware of her heart and her intentions and motivations and the way that she's raising her children. There must be some real depth of relationship there to make that kind of statement. Yeah. And I would say that's a ludicrous statement unless you're going to apply it across the board. Like, I, I'm a family of uh, people who came from Switzerland. We have two kids that we've adopted through foster care that have the same color skin as we do. But they're, uh, although we don't know, probably not from Switzerland. And But we're adopting them out of a family of origin that uh, that was not going to ultimately be productive for them into our family. And they're getting a new culture altogether. And some of the culture that they're going to leave behind are things that are kind of neutral, right? Um, but some of those things are, uh, are, are, are inferior things and we're giving them better things because we're a stable family. And so, yeah, I just think that's a ludicrous statement. You can't apply that just to white and black and not apply that to, you know, a family from Switzerland <laughs> adopting, you know, kids who have a family background from Germany. Right. Well, it is interesting. I mean, you, if again, if you're going to make that your, your standard and say that is a, in and of itself, a colonizing act, as I think what he called it, which implies it's racist. Yeah. Um, then you should apply that to anybody. Throw who, away adoption. Who uh, adopts somebody who's different ethnically yeah. and try to help them in- Or uh, different in any, in any way. way. Right. So, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, level of attack yeah. um, that, you know, instead of the views, let's go after- um, something that, you know, looks to him maybe like a photo op and or something. I think you'd also have to say if you're, uh, you know, uh, a married homosexual family, a couple, and you want to adopt a child that's coming from probably a heterosexual family, uh, then you can't do that as well because you're taking somebody out of a culture and, you know, having them assimilate to your culture. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's an interesting, I, I mean, sometimes you get a little veil pulled back and, and, you know, again, I read that book and that was my first exposure to Ibram Kendi. And again, I found it to be helpful. Um, it, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with everything in it, but I found it helpful. Mm. Um, but I found that interesting to say any white person who adopts a black child must be racist. It's wow. like, I mean, that's in essence what he was saying. And you just, you, you look at that and say, wow. So, so, you know, a family that says, Hey, we're going to adopt a couple kids and we're open to child of any race, and they happen to get a black child, yeah. according to Ibram Kendi, um, you can't do that and not show that you are racist in the very act of doing that. Well, um, wouldn't it be interesting to flip his argument and say, like, would, would he have viewed it as a positive if Amy's family was to say, we refuse to adopt a black child? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Only you white know, people. Like, right. That would be much more alarming to me. Right. And I mean... It, there's just a lot of self-righteousness to make a statement like that and assuming that you've got her heart intent totally understood. Especially. And you know the full desire that's motivating her action is only to project herself as a certain way to before uh, before others. Uh, it's, a, it's a statement of superiority and your understanding of what someone's doing in a pretty critical way. Yeah, yeah.
Well, good. Well, I'm not sure we answered uh, all the questions, but appreciate you guys jumping into this conversation and you uh, who are listening for taking a few minutes just to hear us try to make sense of the world in which we live um, as we understand the Bible and how it relates to um, the issues of our day. Have a great day.